what is it? What's the what's the phrase? Bat for the the benches? Is that a phrase? I don't know. <laughs> bat from the benches? I don't know. Bat for the benches? You know, you you try to hit a home run. Oh, and swing for I, the fences. Swing for the fences. That's that's it. what you're going. And, for. Uh, and you're from and New York that's... City. Yeah. You're from New York City, and you botched a baseball metaphor. I can't. You know, like I. I, I blame COVID. <laughs> you know, I blame the coronavirus. Swing for the benches. benches. I, I do. Batting for the yeah. benches would be foul balls. Welcome to Crossing Phase, the first podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. Your co-hosts are me, Matt Hawkins, a once policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and my friend John Pinna from New York State right now, former director of government and international relations of the American Islamic Congress. We are going to do something now that we haven't done in a while. We just call it a headlines episode, and we're going to bounce around through a number of religion-related headlines and uh, uh, see what fun we might have. Some topics we've touched on in the past, some are new, and uh, we're going to banter a bit about that. John, welcome back. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? How's, uh, how's the corona situation over in Tennessee? It's all right. Tennessee's beginning to open up with, with trepidation, but... Uh, I think everybody's got cabin fever. What do you think? Oh, definitely. People are ready to get out. People are ready to get out. I don't think if states open up or don't, uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I I think uh, once people see that the uh, the there's been success in areas to flatten the curve, meaning uh, not so much uh, the curve of infections, but the curve of hospitalizations, I think uh, people are going to be more and more ready to get out. But uh, churches around here are starting to figure out how to come back together and begin to begin to gather. Um, my own church is, uh, has formulated their own plan. It could change within a week or two, but um, they're starting out starting out small and then uh, going to slowly ramp up. So we'll see how those efforts fare. I just think, you, you know, you guys invented mega churches. You just got to go mega mega now. Right. Well, Double mega, yeah, triple well, mega. Well, it it forced it forced everybody to do the online thing if they weren't already doing it, and now a lot of folks are going to continue even if, even though they uh, relaunch live gatherings. They're going to, uh, I think, a lot of people are going to continue the electronic stuff, especially because even within a own church, shoot, even within my own small group, uh, you have varying uh, reasons and varying you know capabilities to come back uh, into public spaces, you know, different uh, vulnerabilities, uh, particularly you know, people who are uh, you know, 60 or above or have other health ailments or have young kids who just aren't going to social, <laughs> social distance in the context of a public gathering. Uh, so it's still, it's still going to be complicated and, uh, people still got to work around with that. So my own small group is, you know, we've been discussing logistics about how we're going to move forward and continue to meet virtually versus starting to consider some in-person gatherings. So what are things looking like in upstate New York? Well, I know New York is having problems because New Jersey's opening and then uh-huh. it's surrounded by states that are all opening. So no one right. is coordinating. So New York feels a pressure to open. Uh, because the states surrounding it right. are opening, and you can, you know the freeway goes right through. So you got sure. uh, the eighty seven and uh, and eighty four and all you know all the eighties that go through yeah. New York. The the and so you can't open up Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts without opening up New York as well. 
Um, so uh, I know that I, I heard an interview with the, the county advisor and then another governor and, and everyone saying, well, Hudson Valley has to open, New York has to open because well, there's just no way to, re- to to not react to what's going on all around. But I think everybody's just ready to rock. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's going to be tough in uh, tr- like tri-state or multi other multi-state areas where states are independent of each other. But uh, someplace like you know New York City and uh, or New York State is proximate to all you know border states who do a lot of business together and have a lot of commuters, right? Uh, just open up. What are you afraid of, you scaredy cat? Just roll the dice. <laughs> well, I, I think the the interesting thing will be it's not so much this week uh, looking at data from states like Florida and Georgia and others who have begun to open up. It's not going to be really uh, observable for like, what, two weeks because of the time it takes for symptoms to be evident. So it'll be probably two or three weeks after these states reopen to see if there's been a uh, see if that was a bad move or not. Well, I hope a, I hope it's not a bad move. Weeks. What Say a what? great two weeks. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> so like you said, I don't know, a buddy of mine was saying to me, well, I, didn't, I don't have corona. I was tested, don't have the antibodies, but I don't got it. I go, oh, uh, so it just means you haven't caught it yet. And he goes, no, that means that I'm stronger than it. So I don't think that's how it works, but... Yes. Okay. I don't I'm pretty sure that's not how it works, but uh-huh. yeah, you, you got it. You know, and he goes, Well, measles nobody gets nobody's got the measles, nobody's got chicken pox. Uh-huh. I go, he goes, No, and I go, Well, those are all those those all have vac- vac- vaccines, but you you don't think you have them because why? Because I, I, I I'm just I've had multiple conversations like this and, you know, the whole flu thing. And I go, well, if we lose 4% of our populations, like it's 2 million people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot. You know, and if you're one of, if you're related to, or are one of those 2 million people, that's that's a lot. Yeah. Um, But I appreciate your passion for, you know, powering through with, you know, 2 million people. But uh, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough because, you know, I'm I'm lucky, you know, to you know have I'm I know how to cook, right. I'm making my food. You know, I just I just made a whole a whole um, uh, thing of eggplant for the week, nice. and I've got my I've got my stews and uh, you know it's, it's it's they call them salons, it's salons in uh, in Asia, but stew, I got my stews going, and I got I got everything in the freezer. I'm ready to rock and you know go out for a walk and do stuff. But I think that it's it's difficult when Generally, and it's hard. I know it's hard to believe, but when I'm in my private life, I'm not very social. Uh-huh. Uh, um, my my job, as you well know, is so forward sure. out there, yeah, yeah. socializing and doing stuff. When I'm at home, I very rarely have visitors. Very rarely entertain, and uh-huh. and I'm just kind of in my own world. Um, so I'm fine. I can yeah. sit here all day long. Uh, <laughs> you know, just faff about. I'm I'm still finishing up the finishing touches on this article, but. Uh, um, I'll write, do this game a little bit, yeah, and uh, content with the solitude. You know, yeah, I could just—I'm just my own world. I'll, it's a, I'll fly on a plane, and the guy—the last time I was on the plane, it was a thirteen-hour, fourteen-hour flight, maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that from Qatar uh-huh. to and uh, and uh, what did I do? I 
I, I was staring at the seat in front of me and the guy goes, you've been, you've been staring at that seat for like three hours. And I go, yeah. And he goes, uh, what are you thinking about? I go, I don't really know. Nothing. <laughs> He's like, what's going on? I go, I, I talk so much in my job uh-huh. and I, I engage with people so much. This is the only time I have to, uh, um, to Zen out. This is like to meditate phase out. Uh-huh. And so I just kind of, I don't even know what I'm thinking about. And he goes, yeah, he's like, how's that possible? I go, I, I don't know. It's just the way it is. That's a pretty fun so, insight, John. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would not have imagined that about you. Well, like if you told me, a- if you told me I was going to sit with you for a 13 hour flight to, to Cotter, well, so, yeah, I, would, so- I would basically anticipate a 13 hour version of this podcast. <laughs> really? No, I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm in my own little world. I've never figured out how to get the Wi-Fi to work on a plane. It's never, I've never figured it out. I, and I'm too embarrassed to ask the stewardess. So I've never, I can't figure it out. It's for some reason, I, there's no way for me. So I can't get online. Um, reading is always a little bit weird. Uh, um, and so I just kind of, I always, I always have these grand plans of getting sleep or, or uh, getting work done, uh-huh. and I never do. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just I just phase out completely, and I think my whole body just kind of shuts down. It goes. No one can get in touch with me on the phone. No one can get in touch with me. This, <laughs> like, whichever White House is in charge and don't know how to engage. You know, multi faith people aren't calling me. Uh-huh. You know, so um, and then uh, you know, there's no solicitation for what do we do with the program overseas or no counterterrorism. This or uh-huh. uh, so. It's kind of neat to just kind of you know it's completely unplugged, um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's my tale. But uh, I don't think I don't think airports are going to open up though, and I don't. I, I just think there's just not enough people that want to fly, and I'm wondering, are they going to keep the middle seat empty now? Well, they're, they're probably going to keep rows empty, I would think. I, I they're going to have to start. They'll have to start scaling up, like only selling partial seats. I just think they need to they need to have cannons and just shoot people across the ocean. Oh, well, those little tubes, super, there's super a of cannons. Either that like, or did Evil Knievel do a cannon? Was that an Evil Knievel thing, or was he just motorcycle? I don't know. It's it's so long ago. I have no idea. Um, but I feel like there was a cannon involved with Evil Knievel at one point. <laughs> but I think I think that you should have little vacuum tubes. Um, there used to be the show called Futurama, <laughs> like the post office. Yeah, and they should just people just go in these little and shoot. Yeah, because I I would like to say teleportation, but who's going to be the first guy right. to get on a teleportation pad? Right. Like, who's what's the testing going to well, be like on that? Because we've seen the fly. Jeff Goldblum taught taught us all the risks that we need to know about teleportation. Yeah, I mean, who wants yeah, something's going to go? Something's going to go wrong. Teleportation movies in general always have something go awry, even with the most, even if they're depicting the most advanced technology. I always, see, here's the problem. One of the reasons why I'm not a Star Trek guy, this is one of the many reasons, is because I've turned on maybe out of the maybe 20,000 episodes there are, I've turned on, I've always turned it on in the five episodes, one of the five episodes where there's a transporter accident. 
and I can't, I just can't, I can't get, I just, I'm not into it. I'm just like, I, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You got to appreciate, you know, some quasi uh, realism there where, where they're, they're acknowledging that the technology has problems and it's not perfected. Right? It's like your internet access. Sure, you have it on airplanes, but John can't access it. I, sure, I, can't tele- I can't. We have teleportation, no one... but sometimes it screws up. They, every time they go, and we have internet on this flight, and I'm like, okay, sure, sure you do. And I'm and I go on my phone, and I'm looking, and I'm just doing it, and it goes, nothing happens. So I'm like, I can't. Did you ever see Galaxy Quest? Oh, that's an old one. Yeah. Oof. You're dating Rickman. yourself there. It's that's that's like saying the last Starfighter, <laughs> which is everybody's dream. I'm gonna play a video game, master it, it and then get recruited by like International Space Command to defend the planets. You know, yeah, yeah. That... <laughs> Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman. It's yeah, that's a great one. That was funny. That's funny. <laughs> Such a classic. But they're like man. they're all fake, right? And then they get warped into the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like they're like uh, a- aging Star Trek uh, stars who show up at Comic Con like events. That's how they make their living, and then then all of a sudden, a- real aliens from outer space discovered their their TV show and uh, come to communicate with them. It's pretty funny. The problem is, is that the guy who does who plays Spock is the bad guy in the Nakatomi Building in the first. Die Hard, and I can't get out, get past that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what I'm Rickman. talking about? Yeah, yeah. Alan Rickman. I can't, I can't get past it. <laughs> he's so. Yeah, funny. I just don't, I still feel. I, like I he's think Donald. it's. I think Galaxy Quest is funnier knowing the Die Hard. Well, that's the, the that's the role. thing. I, I, I'm still <laughs> waiting for him to take over the the building. You know, to say I got. Hold yeah. on a second. I got. Because he's so. He's not ruthless. He's charmingly ruthless in that yeah, movie. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. You kind of want him to win a little bit. You kind of want though, him to win a little bit, absolutely. Even though you, I mean, I'm glad the two German brothers get themselves killed because they were, they were, they were, they were aggravated. But that's not against any Germans. But they just seem like German terrorists that need to be dealt with in that movie, you know. Um, but you know, and I'm a Bruce Willis fan. I don't think there's any movie that he's ever made that right. isn't absolutely wonderful or craptacular. <laughs> so. Just gonna say that right now. I'm yeah, that, that that's kind of what you're going for. You're, you're 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 aiming at either Oscar or craptacular cult classic. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any movie that no you shame. can't just turn on and say, "I'm gonna watch it." No I don't shame. really care. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, um, but I just yeah. That, his Hans, he's he's kind of charmingly diabolic, and, cool, I, and I just I, I'm like let's. It's, 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 it's like maybe he, maybe he's gonna pull it off. Maybe yeah. there's a win-win situation here. You know, that's you know, he certainly seems like he's in control for for so so much of the movie. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, he, I just don't get why he doesn't. He's he, he kills. He starts. He kills people right off the bat, but then he loses his interest in using the hostages. He right. just he, like right off. It doesn't seem. It seems like he he lost his his you know. He didn't stick it out. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. You know. He didn't I keep up like, the ruthlessness. All right. Yeah. Kind of. He kind of. He just. He shifts to the money. Okay. So. 
<laughs> that, that, all the listeners now are going to say, so John, 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 John would stick with the hostages. Duly noted. <laughs> you know? Right now, the FBI file just opened up again. <laughs> They're like, aha. Aha. Well, speaking of pop culture references, we haven't really touched much religion yet, but uh, last week you made a reference to the Boondock Saints. Oh, oh, which I went back yeah. and watched I, I, you, what you said. because it had been well over was, a decade. And I remembered it okay. was violent, but great googly moogly. It's it's a bloodbath. Yeah, that's it's all a bloodbath. Um, yeah. I, I mean, but, to a point where, but you made a particular I did. point about something that really speaks out to you. The dominant factor in the movie, rewatching it, was? So there's a scene where Willem Dafoe is making his character entrance and they're in, a, in an alley and he's a crime investigator for the FBI. And he's trying to analyze the scene a la CSI, right? And the guy's wearing a suit, very, I guess, what, 90s? But a 90s it's like 90s. a shark skin, yeah. silver, like yeah. shiny suit. So he's like kind of like a... I don't know, fashion-esque type of metro type of situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good way to, a good way to put it. Yeah, and so 99. Actually, yeah, same year as um, as Galaxy Quest. That's funny. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I love how you watch Boondot Saints, Saints, and then you see it's 1999, and you go, I'm going to watch Galaxy Quest next. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that one. Well, it's the scene of, of Defoe. Is technologically He's speaking, listening to classical music, yeah, so, I remember, and right, that's so what makes helps him he, think. He, yes, his mind and his method, if you will, of crime scene investigating is to put is to listen to classical music and crank it up and ignore everybody else. Fair enough. It's clever. It you know it's it's a, I don't know character uh, embellishment, but to get his music. He fl- he he pulls back his shirt, his jacket, his coat pocket. To reveal that he has a, a a disc man attached to his belt and puts in earbuds. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just doesn't hold up. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, as a, as I mean, uh, I think, so you're saying you want them to edit it out? Yeah, and I think and, uh, they, they need to edit it, and he needs to pull out. Uh, they can simulate it, so he's he's flipping on his iPhone and dropping in some some black AirPods. I'm just saying, because they're trying to present him as this tough dude FBI uh, uh, um, detective. The disc man (laughs) and the earbuds (laughs) attached to his hip in a a suit just doesn't doesn't convey a threatening uh, demeanor that I think they were going for for that character. (laughs) So so compact discs are a hard no on you from... From the the Hawkins camp. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! <laughs> anyway, okay, moving on. Religion. All right. Lines. So yeah. So what do we? So Galaxy Galaxy Quest. Yes. Just a recap. Yes. yes. Um, Boondant Saints is uh, a yes, but with a uh, one of those strong, warnings. Strong caveat for uh, um, grotesque Die Hard. And uh... <laughs> we want an alternate ending to Die Hard, where Hans and. Um, McLean both win. Right. And, and uh, uh, I think we covered it. I think we're right. good. All right. right? Yeah, we're no, good. no transporters. 
No transporters. No, transporters. no, no, transporters. no teleportation, just vacuum tubes from now we'll on. Pass. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. You sent me an article whatever the weekend from Providence Magazine. Uh, where we both know people. What are we talk? What are we talking about? Oh like, yes, the, why, the, the, the Jesus. Uh, why th- this Christ- is a great article. Yeah. Why, why Christian pragmatism isn't realistic enough? And yes. I, th- I, I thought it might hook you a little bit. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I do not know the author, uh, Brian T. McGraw. His byline says he's the department chair and associate professor of politics and dean of social sciences at Wheaton College in Illinois. Teaches political theory. And uh, his byline also includes he uh, he uh, likes perfecting his uh, pulled pork barbecue, which I know is a no-go for you, but I could certainly partake if we ever met. Um, so I don't know, Mr. McGraw, but what struck you about this article over at Providence Magazine? Providence Magazine is uh, it's a Christian foreign policy magazine. Um, they uh it comes from uh what within christianity what they call a christian realist perspective um as opposed to um christian passivism uh, which would uh you know lean towards pacifist um tendencies and and policies across the board um but they're also not not what uh, some would critique as uh, warmongers, right, or hawks necessarily. So they're trying to balance those two from a Christian perspective. I I really like the folks. I know the publishers and uh, some of the editors. So, uh, what struck you about this particular article? Well, I, I just like the idea of the. I the, he, he makes this just as a great point. I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he talks about how the, like the moral character of a leader is separate with, from the the leadership. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember that part of it. And he talks about, well, how personal flaws of, I can't remember what he said, personal flaws of like George, George Bush, George W. Bush, George G.W. Yeah. And, and then gets into how the, how the flaws are, are, are of, of Clinton and Trump, which was an interesting sort of comparison, right. um, you know, di- you know, sort of highlighted that, in one president, it didn't make so much a difference because G, George, G, you know, GW had these moral flaws as an individual, and yet as a president, he wasn't. He was. He was. He was. He was okay. Um, I guess that's subjective. I don't really know. Yeah, it, um, it's pretty subjective. You know, but that's what. Well, I mean, since I've worked with with with, with uh, administration since Clinton, and I was going to be honest with you. My my favorite is is GW. He's, he was a good guy. Um, yeah. I I think that I think that uh, I really liked him as a person. As a president, I'm hit, I'm hit or miss. Yeah, with him. You, but yeah, there there would um, be because because of his policies. There, yeah, there'd be places where you probably harmonized, and other places where that really made life difficult for you. Right, but but I worked I worked very well with his his administration. Worked yeah. very well with him. Um, um, so I, I can't really complain uh, on that. And I think the challenge, the challenges are, and cause this guy, you know, he's, his first statement is that he's a moralist. Right. So, so like, like, okay. And it's Providence magazine, which in DC, aren't those the magazines that are on every corner? No. Is that Providence? No, 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 no. Well, That's Politico. Which one's that? That's Politico. No, there's Politico. And then there's, there's another one that's oh. on, on the corners. There's the Hill, the Politico, and I thought it was Providence Magazine. Um, that's 
No, Providence is not distributed like that. It's not? Nope. Okay. Well, that's that's my – so I really like that component of this, of the article. Um, I think the problem is, is that <sighs> he tackles this idea of like morality in a, in a, in a president and when is enough's enough is enough. And I mean, did you get that? Yeah. Well, some of what he's responding to is what he uh, describes as uh, pragmatist or Christian pragmatists um, who would argue. Well, well, this well, this goes back to our yeah. This goes back to our conversation. I, mean, I know I'm interrupting, but the idea right. that which our, our previous podcast we were talking about how if if a president is pushing policies, even though he's not in alignment with your morals and value system, then the, then that's great because he's pushing it through. That's the the moralist. That's the not moralist, right? That's the theme of the article, right? And then the idea is is that when's en- enough is enough is really where he goes with it. Um, at least that that was my takeaway. Yeah. Um, and then I shot it over to you, thinking, well, well, you know, you're you're a never Trumper, and uh, um, and. And uh, although I, I, always nev- feel- I was a never Trumper, but always a pro Trump voter. How's that? Right. Right. You agree. And so that's kind of my stance. Yeah. Well, and, well, the problem is, is that the challenge is, is that if you're going to with the choices that you had in 2016, and I have to say that most people, even if they voted for Trump, didn't yeah. know what was good, what was what what kind of president he was going to be and a lot of them were kind of iffy on that too and if they say they weren't they're lying so i think that as dealing with this administration and dealing with the zealots of trump uh that from the beginning yeah um it's it they're they are a particularly interesting breed of individual yeah. so um even conservatives who have jumped on board later and everybody else and i came into the into this really late i was came back in, from Afghanistan in 2016 August, so I came. I was I walked into this whole thing kind of clueless, going, "What what's going on?" <laughs> the presidential election. I, I didn't. I honestly, being overseas, I didn't realize how volatile the political race was um, until I was wheels down and stepped foot in in the United States, and then I didn't realize. I, and then I got my first taste of it, and then getting back into D.C., I didn't realize the sheer mass of back and forth that was going on between the two parties and the two candidates. I, I had no idea, to be honest with you. So I, I don't think I don't even even if even if you are a never Trumper, like like you say, you're still a voter for Trump because the agenda is right. Um, it's on you're on board with with the agenda. And so by I'm and right. large, well, by and large, in the, the multi-faith space, and I have I'm, I have to admit it, too, in the multi-faith space, and in national, when it comes to national security, uh, at least in the NSS, which, like I said, I'm lucky enough to have been involved in that, in the, in, the, in putting together the document, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with it. Yeah. Um, I think immigration, I think human rights, I think some of those things we got to. Eh, um, I think that the debt and deficit is a problem. <laughs> definitely. Um, I think that no, can't nobody do- thinks nobody thinks it's a problem unless they're running against an incumbent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I well, I mean, I my friend's an economist, and he just says, "Ah, oh, debt. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine." Meanwhile, when we first talking started talking about debt, the debt and the deficit, he 
he was like, well, you have to get to spend money to make money. The economy is going to go great and we're going to end up paying it all back now that we haven't paid it back. And there's, like I said, a deficit. So we're not bringing in the, the, you know, uh, the same amount of money. And the debt is is increasing in, 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 in an astronomical rate. He goes, well, we don't have to pay any of it back. That's, that's what he's saying now. Um, so I, I don't know what we're going to do when it comes to the debt and deficit. And the problem is, is with Corona or COVID or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, oh, it's the cost. Of stuff. It's an emergency. It's created an emergency where we don't can't dip. We, we're dipping deeper yeah. into the pot. And that that those all that fiscal stuff, I have yeah. problems. With. Yeah, sure. um, I also have problems with. I also have problems with the way the government, you know, if you're going to, you can't run the government like you're like a family owned business and I have a problem with nepotism. So sure. I have a problem with that as well. Um, um, but, uh, and I'm saying that, and I've dealt with Kushner directly, right. you know, yeah, on, yeah. on criminal reform, the criminal justice well, bill. So it, it wouldn't, um, criminal justice reform wouldn't have happened without him. Right. Right. And, and, wouldn't, and would yeah, not have happened without him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I, I would agree with that. And I was, you know, sort of instrumental in bringing some people to the table with that bill, mm-hmm. uh, with the reform bill. But I, I think the challenge is, is that everyone in the administration, let's just say everyone, but everybody likes to think that they can handle everything. Right. And that's the problem. Yeah, and you yeah, can't, yeah. you know, you can't w- w- go out and talk about the Middle East. Yeah, there, you know. there is a case for specialization. Well, and, and everybody's not, you, you, whether you are or you are not a genius, still you, you can't handle everything whether and I, i'm not say, claiming that anybody is but that's the claim that everybody's a genius working in the administration so they don't so that's why you're running on a short staff and i'm like well yeah. even if you were a genius you still are going to need to bounce ideas back and forth by people by people and so um but i think the the challenge is we have one dimensional thinking going on and that's that's a problem yeah. um so but anyways so back some to the article yeah, so some a summary of this uh, this Christmas Christmas prag, uh, Christian pragmatism that McGraw is uh, responding to in Providence uh, reminded me of an interview that our panel, um, maybe a I don't know sample group um, that NPR did last fall. Uh, I'll I'll link to it in the show notes, but uh, kind of a cross section of evangelicals in North Carolina, and uh, they interview a, a bunch of them, make comments about uh, evangelicals on faith and politics. And the first guy they interview, uh, Mr. Clark, quote, "Politics is politics, and it's dirty and bad and everything that goes with it. But it's the way we do business, and that's the way God wants us to do business." Unquote. Right. He goes on and elaborates a little bit, but that that to me, is a good example of uh, Christian pragmatism. Uh, so it's, you know, <laughs> embracing the guy for all his uh, all his baggage because he's getting our stuff done. Um, and the Christian realist is going to be like, with, which I think is the point McGraw is saying, there are limits to that. And uh, we don't know yet exactly what, what the long, long story is going to be here with our association, particularly as the social conservatives um, are going to be with uh, a man like President Trump, who has become our bully pulpit, basically, especially for the pro-life movement. Um, you know, it's 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 probably far easier to, in some respects to, I don't know, reorder a political party uh, once someone is out of power and, 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 and not getting elected again. Um, but... I think it's it's too early to tell, 
um, how long kind of the negatives of, of the Trump thing stick with uh, the movements that we tend to hold dear. I say we as uh, evangelical Christians, social conservatives, that kind of thing. So uh, it's a pretty uh, kind of an elbows out uh, essay from Mr. McGraw. Um, but it's it's worth listening. It's uh, worth reading. Uh, he references a little bit of Machiavelli. Um, the limits of Machiavellianism. Yeah, no, I think it's it's it, look. It, it's everything comes runs its course. Is, is I think that the, the idea here is that you can you can push you go you can what is it bat for what is it what's the what's the phrase bat for the the benches is that a phrase I don't know bat from the benches I don't know bat for the benches you know you you try to hit a home run oh and swing for I, the fences. Swing for the fences. That's, that's it. what you're going. And, uh, and you're and from I New York City. Yeah, you're from New York City, and you botched a baseball metaphor. I can't. You know, like I, I, I blame COVID. You know, <laughs> I blame the coronavirus. I swing for the fences. I, I do. Batting for the yeah. benches would be foul balls. <laughs> you know, I deserve it because I'm just you know this, you know I'm so bad I was so bad with those phrases. You know, uh, so we we had a we had a an episode about. As honest as he's as honest as the day is long. We had we had an episode on, on all those phrases. Yeah. I'm gonna start using that. So Sweet. bat bat for the benches. It could be it could be so, derogatory. It could be like, man, he's really batting for the benches. He's batting for the benches. <laughs> so see trendsetters. Um, so you heard it here first. Hashtag so, hashtag bat batting for the benches. Look, I mean, look. Even if you're never Trumper, the point that I'm making is that even if you're never Trumper, you vote for him, and his agenda is benefits. Uh, I want, I, I, you know, the evangelical community because the evangelicals are at a high watermark uh, when it comes to influence of our government. There's no doubt about it, and Christian Christianity in general, uh, and then sort of a, that's a primary secondary and the tertiary is sort of faith communities. Um, um, and I'm, I, I, I can, I've, I've been included in a lot of stuff going on with this administration. Um, but no, no, I would say no more. Well, Obama administration was strange. Um, yeah. but, uh, but every other administration was, was highly participatory. I, I think I would find and and I think this administration does try to engage communities. We just dealt with the National Day of Prayer uh-huh. uh, a week ago, and you know I was tasked with bringing a Buddhist Muslim. Uh, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, a member of the Sikh community and a few others to yeah. speak. And it, the White House listened. Yeah, you know this. That was it. Was great to see an imam up there that's not affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood speaking. <laughs> that was that was great. I'll be honest with you. Um, small victories. It is a small victory, you know, for years and years and years. You know, you see the moms up there and you're going, oh, my God. Um, so that was that was something. Um, and look at what's happening with with uh, with USERF, the United States Commission for International Religious Freedom, and their designation of India. Yeah. That would never happen in the Obama administration. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were oh, events be- on India that were canceled. Yeah, because they weren't. It was. It was. Well, it and, was too- and to be fair, I mean, go ahead. Sorry, India. Well, I was just going to say, to be fair to the Obama administration, I mean, it's been trending that way f- even during their administration, but it's crossed a couple significant thresholds under or d- during the Trump administration. 
that that deserved responses, right? Even though we saw that stuff well, trending but, during the Imam administration. Well, you know, I'm a practitioner, which is right. why you know I'm I, it, all this digital stuff escapes me in large part because I ha- I'm I want to just get my hands dirty and get in country and do stuff. Right. So the challenge is, is that I'm. I, I, it practically, I would have loved some preventative care during the Obama administration. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the problem was is that there was such a strong lobby, and then and then internally with his staff that just said you can't touch India, and he was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you know that was it. It was it was it was just the way it was. Yeah. So um, I, I, that preventative care would have moved. I, Moved India in in the you know steered the ship in the right direction and you know how I am about working within process right so right. Yeah. so I think it, it would it it let a lot of things go where missed, now you have to deal with yeah. it. some missed missed opportunities in that in that season yeah, to do some course correction yeah that's a, that's a good point um, so moving out moving along uh, you sent me a Charlotte Observer piece headline. Quote, God oh. will protect me, unquote. Here's yeah. how religious yeah. Americans view the coronavirus pandemic. And yeah. I'll tell you the first thing that jumped out to me about it, and then uh, then I'll get your take. Um, first sentence, quote, sinners, immigrants, and climate change aren't to blame for the coronavirus. It's governments here and abroad, according to most Americans. And so yeah. you're citing and study by University of Chicago Divinity School and the Associated Press. Um, Americans who said they believe in God were polled about whether COVID-19 is a message from God, if the pandemic has challenged their spirituality, and how freedom of religion fits into it all. They were asked about the cause of the current coronavirus situation in the United States. And... Um, one of the uh, one of the authors of the study from uh, said, "quote What is striking is that when it comes to blame, people are not pointing fingers at particular groups such as sinners, non-believers, or followers of other faiths. Nor are they looking for natural causes. People are pointing fingers at governments. And to the extent that that's true, I think that's encouraging. Well, I think that's good news that people aren't scapegoating other people groups." Yeah, that, that uh, was no, that was a jump out, right? you know. But this that, is this speaks to our polling, our last yeah, podcast. Right. This is good polling. <laughs> much, much. This is a fruitful poll. You're exactly right. It's a more fruitful poll on religion. Yeah, and and it, I mean, I love they have this pointing fingers paragraph, and it's just chock full of you know, according to their findings, you know, one in ten Americans attribute the situation surrounding COVID two, uh, COVID nineteen, you know, to uh, in the U.S. to human sinfulness, which uh-huh. I love that one. What is that? Right. Is that the 10, 10 sins, the 10 deadly? What is that? All right. So <laughs> what, what, define human sinfulness in quotes because it's it, – we're all supposed to know what that is. Oh. Um, okay. So – okay. So, yeah, the pointing figure section, according to – one in 10 Americans attribute um, the situation surrounding COVID-19 in the U.S. to, quote, human sinfulness. Um, which is one in 10, which is – Nothing, you know, that the majority yeah. don't believe that. But what is what is that one in ten? Is, is that like the church lady on SNL? I don't know. You know, I think I think they're uh, it's it's the general, you know, uh, plagues upon people who disobey God, right? And so, if you have a collective 
people group like a nation and they've been sinful then uh and then they get the peril, business peril yeah smited yeah smited um, okay smited. And so and you, so you smite, see that explanation for um you know natural disasters and uh plagues and that kind of thing and uh you know uh, I, I just love this paragraph only one in ten americans you know I, I love this paragraph because this one in 10 Americans are, are all about God smiting us. And the rest goes into, into you know, 45, 43% of those polled said the foreign government actions and policies were to blame. Yeah, 37% went to, I mean, this is just factual yeah. stuff. Now, it's a poll. And then sure. 20% was global trade, which yeah. is which is true. Yeah. You know, stuff well, yeah. moving, products moving. Human yeah, like, sinfulness accounted for eleven percent of the response. I love, I love that. I don't. I just like human. I don't know. I'm gonna start using that term. Followed now. by followed by immigrants at nine percent. Yeah. Um, and then change, yeah. climate change. I don't know. I don't know what that means. What does climate uh, change mean? Well, it means by the, the blaming. Well, I'm tipping my hand a little bit, but it means whatever people think it means. Well, it's like human it's, sinfulness. It's a, it, right, climate exactly. change and human sinfulness. I have no idea what those. They're so broad, <laughs> undefined terms. Um, which could be they could be the same thing then people of non-christian faiths three percent great non-religious people two percent so what a what a wonderful survey that they did which was questions with specificity yeah and uh so it speaks to our previous podcast but the other side of it is is that they're speaking with hard numbers of what's going on i hope my article comes across this way um but a message from God. What a what a great title to the what are the paragraphs. Yeah, well, <laughs> I just wait, love that. So what's interesting though? So here, here's where it interests me, as a person who thinks about theology and religion and politics. Um, so we talk one only ten percent think it's related to human sinfulness, but then the next paragraph says nearly two thirds of okay, okay, okay. That was a different sample group. Okay. One in ten Americans, and then the next section, uh, nearly right. two thirds of religious Americans. So people who self-identify as religious. So it's a different subgroup. I get uh, two thirds of them believe it has something to do with telling God, telling humanity to change the way we are living. Yeah, and I, I don't even know what that means either. Yeah, I mean that's that gets so pretty confused. broad. Um, but it, but it speaks to religious people thinking about you know what a pandemic. You know, is there some kind of existential um, meaning uh, from from a pandemic? Yeah, I, I I mean, I think anybody who's religious is going to wonder if God is doing this for a reason, yeah. as they think everything is doing something. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's for a reason, so. right. Well, I mean, you're coming from a particular worldview that has a presumption that. Um, God is active in the world currently, and uh, there's speculation about what is and is not his his action or or inaction, right? So you're you're already talking to people who, at some level, buy into uh, a God who is active and and present in in our current world. Of course, they're going to have thoughts and feelings about that. It's not not a terrible surprise. But I'm just really glad to see that the bulk of Americans. Are not, you know, ninety percent of Americans are not attributing it to um, immigrants or, or people of a different religion or or color. Like that's encouraging to me. That's good news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good survey that says a lot. With in and this is not even a long article. It's just a little. It's a little. 
you know, bump here, but it's it's great. It's, it just says, look, I think religious communities are looking at things uh, really fair and even-handedly. At least this is how you, as a religious minority, we want the broader religious community to be thinking along these lines. I just would hope that something like this would help with the formation of policy in the in appropriate direction. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I like how this is explained, and I, I don't I don't get the same vibe that I did from the Pew study that we talked about on a previous episode. Um, it just basically is like, look how look how divided you people are. Aren't you scared? This this is a right. different picture. This is a far more fruitful conversation. I think that has some uh, actionable intelligence uh, related religion and politics. I think it's helpful. Uh, doesn't didn't doesn't seem to be you know asking leading questions um, like the Pew survey did. So, all right, well, that's cool. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Penna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter at MTHawk, at JT Pinna, or at Crossing Faiths. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfaiths.com. <laughs>